Boozed and Confused is a comedy and weird topic podcast. Adult language may be used probably by me. While our episode topics may be educational in nature, we are not responsible if your children start dropping the F-bomb to their kindergarten class. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. Hello. In my, in my head, I, w- I was going to jazz myself up to be like, our Métis, but then it just didn't come out of my mouth because I guess it didn't feel right. Hello, 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 hello. So, how's it going? How's everybody doing? It's uh, Monday at 9 o'clock at night. We do say we release episodes on Monday. We just don't say what time. We still have time to make it accurate. <laughs> There's no Papa John's uh, guarantee here where you get your episode in 30 minutes after midnight or or less. It's free anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't pay for shit. It just, it just costs, costs us money just costs to do this. Your, your time. Because we enjoy this every week. Most weeks. Sometimes. Sometimes. Occasionally. Yeah. Here and there. Yeah. So um, you've got another me episode today. It's I will warn you, it's a true crime with a like conspiratorial uh overtone to it and like a lot of police fuck ups in there. Um so if true crime isn't your thing, don't listen to today's episode. I'll just give you that warning now. Yeah. I or just listen. Or just <laughs> listen on mute or it's not play like on a- repeat for like ten times. Yeah. So that increases our uh, average. Yeah, it um, it is not like a super gory or like in-depth details about a murder kind Ooh, of story. That's not really be. my jam. Um, but yeah, just a warning. It's true crime in nature for today with some conspiracies added in. So if that's not your jam, thanks for joining. See you next week. Just keep playing until this is over. <laughs> I don't know how listens work. How do um, how do views work? I listens. actually have no idea. I wish I knew, but before we get into today's episode, a couple of housekeeping items. Um, the first one, we're on all your favorite social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and um, MySpace. We're not on MySpace and neither is Tom. Um, but if social media is not really your jam and you still want to send us a message, you can email us at boostandconfusedpodcast at gmail.com and we will respond to your email as soon as we see it because I always get very excited. We should get a P.O. box. What do you think? God, you know, I actually looked at doing a P.O. box. What's the price on a P.O. box? It depends on the size. Send us your poops. <laughs> send us your we'll animals' rate poops. Em. We'll rate yeah. your... We'll, we'll, we'll rate, rate your em. cat poops. Great. Yeah, that'll be our spinoff pod, actually. Conspiracies and cat poops. Oh. Oh. Okay. That was top of the dome. Great. Um, the next one, if you like the pod and you want to support us, the best way that you could do that is by leaving us a review and or subscribing or following wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I always super appreciate it. I don't. Spotify. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. Spotify now does a rating system as well. So that's super appreciated. And um, the other way that you could support us is by just telling all your friends that you're not embarrassed um, to tell that you listen to this shit pod. And uh, tell tell your memos. Tell 
maybe tell your memas. Tell your hip hip liberal <laughs> liberal liberal memas. And uh, fun fun aunts. Yeah. Who drink wine at um weddings, kids' birthday parties at um, three first communion on a Sunday. Um, if you do leave us a review, you could take a screenshot and, uh, send it to us as long as you're like, I'm going to send you guys my cat poop. Um, and we will send you some boost and confused stickers in the mail for free in exchange for your cat poop. One, one (laughs) lucky listener who leaves a review will get (laughs) stickers, but, uh, it's, it's uh, one of our cat's poops covered in stickers. Yeah. I thought you were going to say stickers by the thousands. No, but it's, it's no, it's not. However many, many stickers it takes to cover the cat poop. Yeah, yeah, Un, an undetermined amount of stickers. So, uh, the last one is, what are you drinking? Um, well, I figured I'd keep the trend going from this past weekend and just a uh, revolution hazy hero. It's juicy, and I love it. And it's hazy, and it's revolution. Who I are just, my favorite? Yeah, I just they're my favorite. Re- I just love revolution. They're at C two E two this weekend. And they are just, they just kill the game. They kill it. Yeah. Every they time. Do. They do. Those uh, galaxy heroes really hit different at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning when you're on an empty stomach and also um, you're over the age of 30. When you're waiting in line um, <laughs> at like 1050 and they're like, we don't serve until 11. And you're like, no, no, no. I'm in line for a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's brutal. It's hard. It's a hard life out here for all you youngins under 30 you'll find out soon enough you'll get it um i have the same beer in front of me unopened it's gonna stay that way it will probably It'll stay that probably way stay only that because way. it's almost nine o'clock and to be honest i'm going to bed as soon as i'm done recording and uploading this so i don't have any hopes for me doing anything else so yeah that's it that's 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 the story that's the cleaning that's <laughs> We need like a jingle. How was that? Was that good? It should be like a meow at the end. <laughs> meow. I'll get one of the cats to come in and, and do this a little bit better. Um, all right. So yeah, I guess we could just get, get into down it. To it. Let's it's get been down. Let's fucking go. 10 minutes wow. of the intro. Wow. We're already. That's um, one. I think it's been more than one, but that's fine. It's one that I noticed. So we're not usually a true crime podcast, obviously. We'll cover like some interesting stories here and there. We usually try to stay away from crew crime anything because one, it can really just wear you down. Um, and two, it's a really delicate thing to cover. Crew crime is pretty crew delicate. Trime? That's what you said. I'm going to listen back at some point. It's true crime. True crime. Crew crime. <laughs> Um, we've really only done like a handful of episodes that cover like a specific person's death. Um, we did like the Alan Greenberg episode, which is like episode 16 or so. We did an episode about the disappearance of Ben McDaniel was like episode 20 something. We did the Sodder children disappearance. Um, the Bridget Cleary episode who was like the last witch burned alive in Ireland. Um, and yeah, and then we did an episode on like the bodies showing up in Lake Mead from the oh, mom. They're finding more still, by they the way. They are finding more. Fi- thanks, global warming. Yeah, climate yeah. change. Thanks, climate, climate change. change yeah. Thanks, thanks, hot water. 
Uh, and this is episode 92 for us. So oh my gosh. I know. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my gosh. Um, so out of 92 episodes, we've done like six that really cover true crime. Maybe eight. We're, we're almost syndicated. Yeah. <laughs> almost halfway. I think it's 200 episodes of yeah. syndication. Uh-huh. I think we're almost halfway there. Yeah. So today's episode is of interest to us because of the unfortunate circumstances of her death, um, what followed after, and like how preventable this was. But um, in a lot of our episodes, we cover like corruption and conspiracies, and this topic definitely includes that. So today, we are going to talk about the murder of Rachel Hoffman. Um, if you're a Redditor like I am, you probably saw this pop up on Reddit over the last week, and that's how I found out about this, so shout out to that Redditor that posted it, because otherwise I had never heard of this before. Um, so Rachel was a 23-year-old woman who recently graduated from Florida State University. Um, she had dreams of like leaving Tallahassee for Arizona. She wanted to go to cooking school. Um, she also... Her uh, undergrad was something around uh, like psychology. Mm-hmm. And so she had told her parents at one point that she wanted to be like a psychologist for children, but not so much in the sense of like, come sit on this big comfy couch and tell me what your problems are. It would be like having kids open up through therapeutic means of like baking, well, th- for that's, example. Yeah, I was, I was just going to really say neat? that. Yeah, like, like not the couch, but like, yeah. hey, let's let's pop that oven oven let's <laughs> let's pop that oven open and also pop those feelings in <laughs> yeah See what okay we get. well yeah maybe maybe a little less um cringy and that's uh, cringy that's lifetime, great that's top of the dome that's... lifetime movie-esque my dad is santa claus <laughs> Um, So the best details that I've really found around um, Rachel's story and like what led to her quote unquote job as an informant came from the New Yorker. They have this extensive article that talks about Rachel. They talk about other informants who have a fate similar to Rachel's and how, um, you know, history sort of played out this way, how things have changed throughout the years, how their deaths have led to reform. Um, it's a fantastic article. It'll be linked in the show notes, but if you want to read more, that's where you can find it. Um, so February 22nd, 2007, please pull over Rachel's car in a traffic traffic stop for speeding. Um, they find almost like an ounce of weed in the car in 2007. That's not like a small amount. Of I, weed. I have no idea how much an ounce of weed looks like, you know, what does it look like? Is it, a big nug? A <laughs> I have no nugs. idea. How many nugs? I'm I'm not really sure. Um, We're both doing like finger like measurements finger right measurements. now. I have no idea um, how much an ounce would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. If you know how much an ounce of weed looks like, um, let us know. Send a, a comment or a picture. Not of your weed, but of like <laughs> maybe like a banana yeah, for us. like scale. Well, they... Um, find find this weed in her car and she's ordered to a substance abuse program which required regular drug testing um and she ends up spending three days in jail because she failed to report for a test okay and remember this is just for weed this is just for weed right which is like it's not like a pound of meth kind of yeah it's kind of fucking crazy it's not like she's trying to deal fentanyl stop counting 
My swear is on your fingers. It's making for a hostile work environment. It's become a, a custom of mine. All right. So we're going to fast forward. It's April 17th, 2008. Police are called to Rachel's apartment after a neighbor complains about the smell of weed. And the caller also says that they think Rachel is selling drugs. Okay. One fucking narc. Um, so police ask if she has any illegal substances inside. Rachel says that she does. She allows the cops inside to search her apartment. They find over five ounces of weed, as well as a few ecstasy and Valium pills. Um, it's all tucked beneath her couch cushions. And because of the amount of what they find, she faced serious prison time for felony charges, like possession of cannabis with the intent to sell and maintaining a drug house, which are pretty big charges. Cops give her the option to reveal the names of other weed dealers in order to drop the charges. And she says no. She refuses. So an officer gives her a different option. You can act as a confidential informant in a drug sting operation and will either reduce the charges against you or drop them entirely. Okay. That's a big risk though. That's a big risk. Yeah. That's that's a scary risk. Yeah. That's a huge fucking scary risk that I don't think she was ever fully um, briefed on. I don't think she understood the risks of that going into it. Remember, she's 23. She just graduated college. Like that's, I would have no idea the legal ramifications of doing something like that. There are people who spend their whole careers doing this kind of stuff. Yes. I'd say a 23-year-old undergraduate is not top of my list of people I'd look to hire for this. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Especially given that she just wants to like go off to culinary school. So um, because she had that prior drug offense with the traffic stop and the weed, she decides to cooperate at this point. So a few weeks later, uh, May 7th, 2008, they set up a sting to take place. In like the three weeks between this, she had been like, quote unquote, working with them in their like confidential informant program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But this sting was really supposed to be like it. So the goal of this sting was to buy 1500 ecstasy pills, two ounces of Coke and a gun or two. It's I think it was just one gun. It's like kind of Mm. firearm varied based on which source you read. The. Gun purchase seemed contrary to department policy, which is kind of curious. All of that for around $13,000 in cash. It was the biggest buy bust in department memory. And you're going to have a fucking (laughs) 23-year-old with no experience in charge of this. You'd never see it coming. Well, I just like... There's just... I mean, I just don't know how... The people setting this up didn't think, like, maybe this is a bad idea. Yeah. Anyway, so let's compare that to what she was busted with. Five ounces of weed, less than a handful of ecstasy, no guns or coke. So how do you make the jump from that to 1,500 ecstasy pills, two ounces of coke, and a gun for 13 grand? Yeah, it's a big jump. That's insane. That is insane to me. And she doesn't have that kind of experience with that sort of shit. If I were somebody who was like, okay, so say, for example, I'm well versed in 
the realm of hazy IPAs and I could tell you all about hazy IPAs. Love a juicy IPA. But then if I'm supposed to go to somebody and act like I'm an expert in stouts and I don't know shit about stouts, I'm going to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. Especially if I'm supposed to buy $13,000 worth of stouts. It's a lot of stouts. It's a lot of stouts. And I have I I would have no idea what I'm talking about. Or like one barrel full of barrel aged stuff yeah <laughs> yeah well that would maybe depend on that's a big barrel on that and then you just gotta say like oh it's like chocolatey oh there's some oh, whiskey like, notes yeah it tastes like soy sauce mm. milk and oatmeal yeah that's disgusting um so it's around 6 40 at night rachel is driving her own car to a place called forest meadows park which is her destination and she's supposed to meet two suspected drug dealers um by the names of Danilio Bradshaw and Andrea Green in a parking lot to complete the purchase. Danilio is like 23. Green is 25. Um, they both were fired from their jobs at a window tint and car detailing shop days before this thing happens. Great. Okay. So Rachel has a wire on her. There's 18 law enforcement officers assigned to this operation. There's a DEA surveillance plane circling overhead, and her investigator uh, named Ryan Pender is her handler. He's the one who's like in uh, like ownership of the operation. He's in charge, and he has eyes on her the whole time, or he's supposed to. It's like they're going to the parking lot of the park. They've got the car with the drug dealers, and then like a a really like big van just pulls yeah. up, like <laughs> yeah, exactly, down, and they're like. Uh, yeah. They'll and, never see it. Yeah. And like if you're Rachel and you have no idea what to really expect because you've never been legally briefed on this with a lawyer, um, you've maybe done like three weeks of whatever sort of bullshit they've been feeding you. But you think I have 18 cops. I have this, uh, you know, handler. And then I have this DEA plane overhead. I'm probably pretty safe. It's it's to her probably some sort of sense of security. Right. So, yeah. So what's supposed to happen is Rachel meets these dealers, the cops swoop in as the deal happens, and then they would arrest Bradshaw and Green, the two dealers, and Rachel can just go home that night and like go out to dinner or go out to, I don't know, a club or something. You'd hope that they would at least like pretend to arrest her. Yeah, I mean, something. Um, but that's not what happens. So Rachel shows up to the park for the deal. Bradshaw and Green changed the location of the buy, which is problematic for two reasons. A lot of reasons, but two main reasons. One, the security is set for this location mm -hmm. specifically. Um, and two, she can't hear the police handler, Ryan Pender, telling her to not follow them to the new location. So it sounds like there were some technical issues that happened. She didn't get those instructions. So to the new location, she follows the dealers. Like, if you ever heard, um, what is it? Like, if you're being kidnapped or something, you never want them to bring you to a second location because chances are you won't survive after that second location. I think that's, like, a similar sort of thinking for this. So, by the end of the hour, police lose track of Rachel and her car. It's obviously panic mode. They are, like, exhausting all of their options. Later in the night, the cops have the fucking audacity to show up at Rachel's boyfriend's house. They don't say, like, we lost her during the sting operation. They ask if she's inside because they thought maybe she ran off with the money because she had 13 grand in cash. Oh, my God. Fucking ass. So 
Her boyfriend is obviously confused because she's clearly not there. She had texted him around like 6.30-ish saying everything was going to be fine. Um, And, you know, like, hey, I just got wired up and blah, blah, blah. So according to police documents, a witness described seeing the BMW that she was driving stuck in a ditch um, with a 2005 Volvo belonging to Rachel idling nearby um, between like 7 p.m. and 7.30 p.m., which is about 30 minutes after the police lost track of Rachel. So the witness claimed that the BMW drove off when he stopped to help the driver, um, you know, like to help him get the car out of the ditch. But the vehicle returns as the witness was leaving. And so the witness claimed that he became suspicious and decided to leave when the driver of the Volvo opened the trunk and revealed a camouflage blanket and neat stacks of female clothing. About 2.30 in the morning, uh, Rachel's parents, who are divorced for the purpose of this story, um, Rachel's parents get a call saying that she's missing and they ask if they'd heard from Rachel or knew where she was. So the cops call again later in the morning and they urge her parents to come to Tallahassee. Um, so Rachel's mom starts driving up separately. Uh, her dad starts driving up separately. Rachel still hasn't been found at this point. The police make no mention of the botched drug bust or of her work in the informant program. Okay. So her parents show up. They aren't taken to a missing persons part of the department. They're taken to narcotics. Um, A victim's advocate warns Rachel's parents that Rachel may not actually be found alive, realistically. The police chief assures them that they're aggressively searching for Rachel and tell them, why don't you just go back to Rachel's apartment and wait for any updates that we might have? Okay. Again, at no point during this were her parents told the full story of what was going on. It's not until they sit down, they turn the TV on, and they watch the news do they find that Rachel had provided assistance during a police operation the previous day and officials suspected foul, plot, foul play in her disappearance. So her parents drove all the way up here, don't know what the fuck is going on, and they have to find this out from the news. The news, right. So the news then relays that her Volvo had been found in Perry and her phone was discovered by a roadside. Okay. So Margie is Rachel's mom. Um, She's at the grocery store with her new husband, who's not Rachel's father, um, getting some coffee and bagels from the grocery store when she gets a call from Rachel's father, Irv. Irv says, you know, you need to come back to the apartment. Okay, so Margie runs back into the store. She's, like, running around screaming, looking for her husband, and she's screaming, like, my daughter's been murdered. Okay. So it's at Rachel's apartment that they confirm that her body had been found. Rachel's body is found in Perry, Florida, which is about 50 miles southeast of Tallahassee, uh, two days after she disappeared. And she was shot five times in the chest and head with the gun that she was intended to buy during the sting operation. Because this was a sting operation and Rachel had like $13,000 in cash on her, the serial numbers of all of the bills she had were previously recorded and then used to track Bradshaw and Green because they're geniuses. So they're both arrested, you know, sometime later on. Green pleads guilty to second-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison, no possibility of parole. 
Bradshaw goes to trial in December 2009. He's convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. By the time that Bradshaw's trial began, which is about like a year and a half later, um, you know, after Rachel was murdered, prosecutors had several binders of evidence, surveillance videos, and like a ton of other shit to really solidify this case. Um, so Willie Meggs is the former state attorney um, in Florida, gives this great interview that's documented on WTXL, uh, which is linked in the show notes. Um, but Meg said, quote, I think that they went there intending to rob her. Clearly, they didn't think that she was working for the police because theoretically the police should have been there to apprehend them at the scene. But because of a bunch of mess ups and losing her in surveillance and the wire in her car goes dead, they lost communication. They lost sight of her. And the big deal is Bradshaw and Green didn't think that we knew all of this. And so they were moving along fat, dumb and happy, not knowing who or uh you know, they were moving along. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Meg said what bothers him the most about this is that it should never have happened. Rachel should never have been there to begin with. Um, so we all are familiar with the war on drugs in the U.S. and how successful that's been. Um, in the mid-80s, Congress enacts uh, federal sentencing guidelines that impose super harsh mandatory minimums for drug offenses, even for petty ones. So the result is in Florida, incarceration rates for drug crimes increase nearly 20-fold, with some sentences for weed sales surpassing those for murder. I'm just going to say that again. Sentences for weed sales surpassed those for murder in Florida under this. That's insane to me. So the new approach codified a long-standing escape hatch for the accused, which was to provide, quote, substantial assistance to authorities in exchange for the possibility of early release or dropped charges. And the use of drug informants surged, obviously. Um, and so that, that sort of trend swept through state and local law enforcement agencies across the country, um, which means that there were a ton more Rachels that happened. Um, most of them just made it home for dinner. And um, again, I highly, if this is like at all interesting to you, I highly encourage you to read the New Yorker article that's linked in the show notes that talks about this in so much more depth. Um, it doesn't just cover Rachel. It covers a, a few more stories that are similar and also very sad. Um yeah, it's just insanely fucked up. Yeah, hope, hopefully um, if you do click on that link, you haven't read through your three free articles of the year and then you oh, get yeah. paywalled. Yeah, there, I think there are ways around that. I think there are I ways around that. I think if you that. go into like the coding of, of the page, you can like, Ooh, smart. You, can, you can get rid of the paywall. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's illegal. My it, uh, <laughs> it won't get you killed though. Yeah, hopefully. probably. Probably hopefully. not. Um, so Irv... Rachel's dad says that after Rachel died, there was a smear campaign that was started against Rachel, which is horrible. Like, like you're already dealing with the death of your daughter. And then to see the way that she's being portrayed as to somehow make her death less, less painful, yes, less of a yes, smudge. Exactly. So he said their daughter was portrayed in police statements and like front page news stories as in his words, this horrible drug dealing monster. 
um, Rachel's friends started coming by her apartment and they were also shocked by the initial coverage of the murder as by the death itself. Um, they said, quote, like the first stories tried to paint Rachel as a low life druggie um, drug dealer. And two months later, there's a TV segment on Rachel's death. Brian Ross, who's the ABC News correspondent, interviews police chief Jones, who's in charge of all of this. And this is this this really got my blood boiling. Jones told Brian Ross of ABC News, I'm calling her a criminal. That's my job as a police chief to find these criminals in our community and take them off the street to make proper arrests. Ross then asks Jones about the police department's accountability. And Jones says, do we feel responsible? We're responsible for the safety of this community. Oh, what a crap answer. Isn't that such a shitty thing to say? Like you can't, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. That's just awful. And so there's, I think, a lot of questions that are left unanswered, especially for her parents, who had no idea that this was even going on. Right. Um, so in the weeks following her death, Irv, her dad, starts writing out a list of questions that he can't answer or can't get answers for. Um, so some of those are like, why was Rachel used in such a high-risk police sting when she had no training? Which is like a very valid fucking question. She had no training for this. Maybe three weeks in the program, if that's what you want to call it. But like you said, there are people who literally dedicate their entire careers to this sort of shit. So how they somehow thought that she was a great candidate to involve in this is beyond me. Um, but, he, you know, Irv said that Rachel couldn't even find her own socks in the morning sometimes. So how is she qualified to be involved in this? Right. Just just let the undercover cops arrest the undercover informants. Yeah. Well, you could you could do that, too. Just, just let that happen. Um, he also asked why was she sent to buy a semi-automatic pistol when she had never even fired a weapon, which I think goes back to against department policy. And why was she pressured into taking part in the operation before she even consulted a lawyer? Which is another great question. Just like a very convenient, uh, skip over. Yeah. Yeah. You would think. So Irv and Margie, um, begin working on policy reforms they later call Rachel's Law. So Rachel's Law gets brought into effect uh, July 1st of 2009. It requires law enforcement agencies to provide special training for officers who recruit confidential informants, instruct informants that reduce sentences may not be provided in exchange for their work, and permit informants to request a lawyer if they want one. I think what's crazy to me is I had no idea how widespread something like this was throughout the entire country. Like how many people are actively participating in this sort of like informant program. Um, and from the New Yorker, they were saying that parents all around the fucking country were finding out that their college kids were being pressured into becoming informants. Which is like, can you imagine being like 22, you get busted for like half an ounce of weed and then all of a sudden you're recruited into, I don't know, being a drug informant with like, what? Mom, I'm a cop. <laughs> God, like I just can't even imagine how that could be considered a good idea. Um, so Irv says that he puts Rachel's death on Ryan Pender. If you remember, he's mm -hmm. the handler. He's mm -hmm. the one who's supposed to oversee the entire operation. Um, he was the one who told her specifically, like, 
if you do this program, we can reduce or drop your charges. So Irv calls Pender's phone every single year on the anniversary of Rachel's death and leaves a message reminding him of the anniversary. Pender was actually the only officer who was even ever fired for this. Um, And Irv says he always asks Pender to call him back, but he does not. He never returns the phone call. Maybe next year. Um, Even like months after this whole thing happened, um, the uh, like Tallahassee, uh, county, it's Leon County, uh, grand jury found that the Tallahassee Police Department was negligent in Rachel's death. And in 2012, the city of Tallahassee apologized and settled a wrongful death lawsuit with Irv and Rachel's mother, Margie, for $2.6 million. Which is approximately the worth of a person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Here, your, your daughter that we... Um, poorly chose to include as a pressure poorly pressured into uh becoming an informant for us uh her her life was only worth 2.6 million dollars sorry about the botched investigation yeah i'll i'd pass on that money there's no way no way so there's so much more background to this story again the new yorker um has a lot more details about rachel's like upbringing and her as a kid and it was i do not love true crime because this shit is just really fucking sad to me and um there's a lot more details of other similar stories in the new yorker as well there's a lot of resources i pulled from to create like one cohesive story to have all of the documents or to have all of the details in in one story there's also a um a 2020 episode that happened uh there's a link to the youtube for that as well um but yeah that is uh today's story that's uh at least a high level of rachel hoffman's death but uh not just her death the uh i, I don't know what you call this a cover-up a, like the smear campaign a fudge up and a smear yeah. yeah that's how it sounds like a fudge up and a smear this is why the closest i'll get to true crime these days is like cults yeah yeah that's that's about as far as i'll go because those are still almost kind of fun yeah Depends on the cult, but well, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you learned something new and uh, that's it. We'll see you next week at some point. Maybe Monday. Maybe, maybe Monday. Maybe, maybe, not. maybe we'll record Sunday. Probably not. Yeah. Who, who, yeah. No way. No way. It's like a college paper due at midnight do and it's 11 50 <laughs> do it do the day of all right we'll see you next week thanks bye uh, bye <laughs>